Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. Hey, before we jump into things, Caleb, I wanted to talk to our listeners today. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. This is episode number seven, which is when most new podcasts decide to fail. It's like the seven-year itch when people get divorced. Have you heard that stat? Mm-hmm, I have. I haven't, I haven't looked into it at all. It's probably baloney. But just like the fact that we would be stopping now is baloney, they are very similar because we're not going to stop. But we would we're really not stopping, appreciate folks. I thought I told you that. We won't stop. <laughs> We would really be obliged if you would tell your family and friends that this podcast exists uh, so that they may benefit from this. Uh, We appreciate you guys sticking with us through the beginning phases of the Old Fashioned Finance Podcast. We intend to continue to make this a better show, more informative, providing more value to you all out there. So thanks a lot. Tell a friend. And then they'll tell two friends. And they'll tell two (laughs) friends. And they'll tell two friends. (laughs) Oh, all right. Hey, old buddy. How you doing? Hey, older buddy. What? You called me old, did you not? Well, no. It was really more of a testament to how long we've been buddies. But anyway. All right. Gotcha. So maybe I'm just feeling a little older today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, technically you are correct. There's a They Might Be Giants song that goes, you're older than you've ever been. And now you're even older. Oh, yeah. And now you're even older. So, and now you're, you're even older. <laughs> Technically, you're correct. You're older today than you were yesterday. Yeah, this is true. Uh, some days I feel that truth more than others. Getting older is not that, all that bad, though, Caleb, you know. You're a little older. You're a little wiser, a little handsomer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> no, you're right, Jason. It's not all that bad. I I don't want to go back to my 20s. That was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, many things are easier now with age and experience. But with age comes more responsibility. Like Uncle Ben said. Yeah. Something about being older. Power? More responsibility. No, I think it was definitely more older, more responsibility. (laughs) More responsible -er. (laughs) (laughs) We worry about grown-up things now. We never had to worry about those before. Uh, back when we were youths, but we get to do things that we couldn't do when we were younger. So think about that. Yeah, like mixing up cocktails at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just got busted doing that, didn't we? <laughs> Among other things, though, we get to stay up as late as we want. We can eat ice cream every day if we want. Yeah. For dinner. Ah. These are all good things. But uh, I'm I'm curious, when did you start to really, and seriously, when did you start to feel a little bit older, Jason? <laughs> if listeners are familiar uh, with our previous episodes, I complained about shoulder pain brought on by <laughs> I don't know what. That's when. When I woke up hurting for no discernible reason, that's so, when I knew I was getting older. Just a few <laughs> weeks. Congratulations. For yeah, me, man. it was a rock concert. You should feel young at rock concerts. <laughs> I remember your rock concerts when we were allowed to have those. You remember when we were allowed to go to rock oh, concerts? Yeah, I do. And and despite feeling old, I Really, I can't wait to go back, but uh, time so will how, tell. So how, how did a rock concert make you feel older? Okay, uh, well, Jason, the year was 2019. It was the shiny and oh-so-bright tour. The band mm. was smashing pumpkins, and you were there, and other <laughs> Jason was there. 
<laughs> yeah, lots of Jasons were probably there because a lot of people born in that decade love the Smashing Pumpkins. That yeah. was an awesome show. That was a bucket list concert for sure, man. Great show. Great show. It exceeded all expectations. And man, yeah. they played for three and a half hours. Totally the, unexpected. The concert wasn't three and a half hours. They played for three and a yeah. half hours. My oh, feet yeah. and my ankles hurt so bad. <laughs> from standing jason standing makes me hurt standing makes me tired heck sitting makes me tired <laughs> driving makes me tired <laughs> yeah it, well anytime i ask my wife to drive she says oh so today i'm driving miss daisy <laughs> <laughs> like the movie yeah <laughs> that's that's funny caleb because that plays right into the topic of our episode today really Oh, yes, sir. Today we're talking about sidecars and social security. Sidecars, like the motorcycle thing, right? Caleb, you ignorant <laughs> s- <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about the cocktail. No, not the motorcycle sidecar, though that does uh, kind of wedge into what we're talking about because social security is kind of your sidecar to your retirement income plan in one way. Okay. Right? I but see I'm what you about did the, there. Yeah, the cocktail, the sidecar. I, I get it. It's a uh, it, like uh, sidecar driving Miss Daisy, right? Yeah. Well, okay, but no, the sidecar <laughs> is something different. Uh, it's a cocktail. It's one of David Embry's six essential cocktails. Ish. I man, I can't get past that Sean Connery impression you tried to have me do. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the six essential cocktails. Uh, David Embry All writes right, about t- it. A, l- a lot of folks have it. Okay, tell me a little bit more about the sidecar, because I really don't know much in general. Other than I'm uh, drinking side- one right now. Well, yeah, we mixed some up, so you're feigning ignorance a little bit. But the sidecar is a brandy-based drink. And for a really mm-hmm. good sidecar, you should choose a really good brandy. And we chose Corvolsier, uh Cognac. And uh, I think you'd be good with that. Or some Hennessy, if you're thinking about using the Henny on that. Um, yeah, so for those of you out there who don't know, um, brandy, all all cognac is brandy, but not all brandy is cognac, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's like a, a champagne from the Champagne region of France. Yeah, the, great example. The cognac only comes from the cognac region of France. Oh. Uh, the, the brandy can come from any <laughs> uncultured, uncivilized place. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, this is most a brandy-based drink. It's brandy, and it's triple sec, and it is lemon juice for the most part. Many believe this drink was created in Harry's Bar in Paris. Uh, an army captain rode up to the bar in a motor- motorcycle sidecar, mm-hmm. and they probably knew this kind of recipe. This is actually like the child of a drink called the Brandy Crusta. So it's he- heavily related. World War One is when the story comes from. Okay. Uh, so World War One army captain... An American army captain, it seems like, ordered this drink. The word sidecar means something totally different in the word of uh, world of cocktails. It's just named after the little buggy the guy rode in on a motorcycle. Yeah. But it's great. It's cognac, some triple sec, and lemon, and that's it. And there's some there's some debate over how to mix this up, Caleb. Okay. Um, we I got like a lot debate. of recipes. Why don't you go ahead and share our buddy Dave Embry's recipe to start? Yeah, yeah, okay. So going back to our old friend Dave's recipes, and he um there are a lot of recipes out there for sidecars. It's funny, we talked about driving Miss Daisy. There's actually one called a Miss Daisy. Oh, we didn't yeah. try that, but there are a lot of variations out there of this drink. Our old pal Dave, he's on the boozy side of things. 
most of his recipes are pretty strong. His, which we we tried earlier, um, is eight parts cognac or armagnac. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Let's say eight parts cognac, two parts lemon juice, one part contro or triple sec. For ours, we couldn't find contro, so triple sec it is. That's Dave Embry's uh, recipe. Basically, you shake vigorously with ice and strain into a uh, cocktail glass. Garnish that with a twist of lemon if you want. And then there's, uh, we have kind of consulted the Savoy book as well. Oh, which, yeah. Uh, theirs is a little bit less boozy. Two parts yeah. brandy, one part lemon juice, one part Contro or triple sec, which we kind of did that for the uh, the second one that we tried. And the Embry recipe is really, really lemony. I read that it's supposed to be a lot drier. David Embry he- leans on the booze heavily in his cocktails. Yeah. But man, I when we were drinking it, I just thought, this is just lemon juice, right? Yeah, that's what I thought too. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not like sucking on a lemon. That's like uh, like a warhead. You know, you remember Atomic Warheads, the candy I that do. we used to get? Yeah. Yes, I'd get those at the, the carryout right next to my <laughs> elementary school, man. I, I know we've made comparisons with different drinks, like uh, you know, throwing a Jolly Rancher in a drink and things like that. I, I sort of feel like you could throw a lemon warhead into brandy, and that would be Embry's recipe. But the, yeah. uh, I didn't even know what triple sec tasted like after drinking the drink because I, you know, admittedly have never really used triple sec. So we tried that on our own too, mm-hmm. and we decided to flip the lemon juice for the triple sec, which I think personally. Suits my taste a little bit more. How about you? Yeah, I think maybe I want to give some due to trip uh, to Contro, Coin True, Coin Trial, Coin Tro. It's a very be, popular. Just be confident. Yeah, Contra. <laughs> it is a very popular orange liqueur, and I, maybe with that, this would have been a lot better. And I've had that before in margaritas, and it is good. But yeah, using Embry's recipe was overly tart. I'd yeah, say it was very tart. I couldn't taste the brandy at all. And we used Corvossier brandy, cognac, in our uh, recipe as well, which I highly recommend as a brandy by itself. I, I know I like that on its yeah. own or warmed up over a little candle, like you've got oh, a little yeah. warmer. That's, That's delicious. That's a great wintertime drink. <laughs> but we made we made the Savoy recipe too, which is a lot more common nowadays. I think if you go to a, a cocktail bar and order a sidecar, probably going to get Two parts brandy to one part lemon juice, one part Contro. So mm-hmm. I liked it. I wish that it was more brandy forward, and we could probably fix that by by messing with the ratios. Yeah, we could probably mix up a few more of these and find something that fits. But um, normally, I would say that um, so far the the drinks that we've gone through, I I tend to lean towards uh, David Embry's. Uh, recipes for most of these of course mm-hmm. we've talked about you know bourbon based drinks and things like that which you know yeah. you you know that still through all all this mixed drinks I, I like the cocktails and things like that my favorite drink still is the bourbon neat yeah don't be confused out there listeners we are not just yuppies who like <laughs> cocktails no uh, we're yuppies too but well we're way worse than yuppies <laughs> whatever a worse nerdy infuriating thing is we're worse but <laughs> but we do like our bourbon neat i think mixing this drink up and changing some of the ingredients changing some of the ratios is gonna really i think i'll like it honestly maybe if we're using contro and we're adding a little more of that a lot less lemon juice but we've we have tried a lot of drinks this is a really similar recipe to the daiquiri that we did it a few is, episodes yeah. back but the daiquiri, we liked that when it was really rum forward, like when we had a really nice rum and it was mostly rum. This one, I think mm-hmm. a little different. I think I want 
if I'm going to mix the cognac with the control and the lemon juice, I want a lot less lemon juice, more control and a bulk of cognac for sure. Yeah. I read somewhere that people do one, one to one to one with this recipe too. Oh, I can't imagine that with that much lemon juice. No, that's so much lemon juice. I can't imagine it either. So I think for listeners out there who maybe didn't mix up the drink with us, if you want my opinion, if I could describe to you in general what this recipe and we, we tried a couple uh, tastes like, it's kind of like a mix between a daiquiri and a whiskey sour. If you've ever had a whiskey sour. Yeah, you're getting a lot of the sour. Even though I mean, probably we're not using rum. Brandy sour. <laughs> oh, okay. So I've never had a brandy sour, but yeah, we're not using whiskey or rum in this drink but i i think that that's where it kind of lands for me it's in between a daiquiri and a whiskey sour it's somewhere on that spectrum all right yeah yeah i've liked it i like other drinks more i made a whiskey sidecar actually a couple weeks ago when my my sister-in-law and brother-in-law were over i made some whiskey sidecars and i tasted some of that i made one for my wife and one for my brother-in-law and then i I actually rimmed the glass with sugar too i think that actually took a lot of the the sourness of the lemon out and i've heard other bartenders use like a dash of simple syrup or or grenadine or something to kind of take that out maybe that would be better but i maybe i like whiskey more than brandy but i know i like brandy a lot so yeah it's worth it's worth checking out you should try it and see if you like it i think i'm gonna take you up on that we'll try some whiskey sidecars i'm i'm not ready to give up it's okay it's it's pretty decent it's probably not the first or second uh drink that i'm mixing up but uh, it's hard to beat the old-fashioned on the (laughs) old-fashioned finance podcast that's a that is the king of cocktails so far so far we've got a lot of drinks and a lot of finance topics to go through folks Speaking of finance <laughs> topics, let's get into it because we have a lot to talk about today. Oh, yes. Um, we are talking about social security. Mind you, this is going to be a primer because we could <laughs> we could spend countless hours, countless episodes on this subject, different social security strategies. Oh, man. Um, there are a lot of things that we could really dive into with this, but I, I guess let's just yeah. jump right in and start talking about social security in general. I think everybody is aware of social security, but let's build a base first and and kind of go through some scenarios and just, just really get a general idea for how social security works, how it works for the average retiree. And uh, hopefully we'll get some questions to clarify some other points uh, when we're done. But. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Social Security is a it's a government program. So just think about that when dozens, if not more people are working on a piece of legislation to, to put forward. Social Security is complicated. It is Oh, yeah. There are lots of in and outs. We are not going to do an exhaustive treatment of Social Security and how everything works in in one episode, not in five episodes. So we wanted to give a primer on it. But just know this is a government program that the federal government put together and put out. So it's as complicated as that. It's just like if we were like, hey, we're going to do an episode on the tax code. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. That's, that's true. That And that's a really good comparison. Um you know, I have a client who retired from the Social Security Administration, and when I took her on as a client, I said, here's the deal. If I take you on, I'm going to call you with a couple of zingers every year because <laughs> I feel like I know more than the average Joe about Social Security, but there is a lot involved. And I think we could be the old-fashioned finance slash Social Security podcast. We could never leave that topic if we wanted to. 
it's something um, that impacts almost everyone, but it's so you're right. It's so complicated. We could we could spend the rest of our lives talking about it. We're not going to. We're going to try to spend the next, <laughs> let's say, 40 minutes or so talking about it. Yeah, man, let's do that. Okay. And let's start let's start with the the first question, Caleb. How did social security come about? So that's a really good question um, because for those of us who were born post social security legislation, it's just always been there. But technically it came about in 1935. The president was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The nation was coming out of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, the the fallout still from the First World War, the industrial revolution. There was a lot going on at this point in time. You know, I, I don't think that FDR invented social security or the idea of a government pension. I actually wrote a blog about this not long ago, kind of talking about retirement in general and the way that we approach retirement, the idea of retirement that we've kind of created here in the States. And a lot of it goes back to, I'm going to go back to the 1880s with Otto von Bismarck. (laughs) Hey, all right, Otto. So he was a German aristocrat. aristocrat. (laughs) Another tale of your childhood. Guys, I have young kids, okay? Is that where everybody, <laughs> everybody wants to be a cat? Is that where that comes Maybe from? Maybe he wasn't even a, an aristocrat, <laughs> but he was a, uh, he was a, he was a chancellor in Germany. He's kind of credited with the idea of, of, of a government-funded retirement. And the idea was this, with the Industrial Revolution, an aging population, life expectancies in general, you know, being extended... What you had was an aging workforce, people living longer who were not able to be productive and generate an income for themselves. So drawing back on research I did for the blog, you know, at that point in time, if you were 60 years old, you were basically deemed useless as far as the workforce goes. Now, we know that that's not the case here. In fact, I think some of our our most productive workforce is probably in their uh, their 60s. But the idea there really was these people have worked a lot of years in tough conditions and you know we owe it to them to provide some sort of a pension. You know, the United States is not the first to really roll this type of legislation out. A lot of countries in Europe were starting this kind of idea, but that's really where it came from was was providing a government provided pension. Uh, for an aging population who could no longer provide income for themselves. Yeah, that big switch from a mostly agrarian culture to industrial, mm-hmm. um, less uh, multi-generational families living together. I gotta say, it kind of makes sense. It was a whole big sweeping amount of federal government coming in and uh, doing some stuff because that Great Depression was a big deal. And yeah. uh it caused a lot of people to look for some change. So safety and security, uh, you know, after the stock market crash and all those types of things that with the depression in general, that was top of mind. You know, you think about some of the legislation that's come about over the past few years with financial crises, crises, mm-hmm. and, you know, even the, the most recent, I, I always coined it as the COVID crash and things like that. There's always been legislation that comes out of that. And I think that the blueprint for a lot of that comes out of what happened in the 30s in response to the Great Depression and how we handle those things. But um, we, we could do a whole episode on how this was uh, created and why. But, you know, for the purpose of this podcast, Let's get into a, a little bit more uh, application. So, Jason, yeah. talk to me a little bit about how our benefits for Social Security are, are calculated in the first place. It's a magic formula that nobody knows. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> no, it seems like it. It's all written down, and you can you can Google this stuff. 
But basically, it's indexed indexed monthly earnings over your best 35 years. So if you're working, um, it's going to take an in, it's an inflation indexed uh, deal too, right? So yes. it's it's pretending that you you earned all this stuff over 35 years on an average, and with inflation, it's going to continue to grow at whatever rate. So the moral of that story is that it's going to use your your previous earnings and your highest 35 years. So you can check that out on the statement that you get, which they don't send anymore. You have no, to get it so, online. Yeah. If you remember, uh, you and I both remember getting a paper statement every year in the mail. And uh, I mean, honestly, I just chucked it because, uh, you know, we're looking at 30, 40 years down the road. But they used to send a paper statement to everybody that had paid into Social Security. Now at age 60, they will start sending a paper statement if you want. But if you're curious about how your benefits are calculated and, you know, a projection on what you may be entitled to down the road, you can log into SSA.gov, create it, will create a login and, and check out your benefits from there. And while I'm saying that SSA.gov is a great source for how Social Security works it's oh, straight yeah. from the horse's mouth. Sometimes it's like, and you know, we talk about tax code a lot here. It's like going to irs.gov. Sometimes you go out there and you're even more confused by the explanation that you get, but it is a useful source. I recommend to all my clients that are approaching retirement age to go out to ssa.gov, create an account, get us that information to to get real accurate information. Because I do think a lot of people just ballpark based on what they hear their friends are getting and things like that. Yeah. You know, you, you can get pretty detailed information on that website. So another really good re- reason to log in to ssa.gov is to make sure your identity hasn't been stolen. Oh, that's a great uh, point. I think you should do it regardless. If you've been working for a while, log into your social security account. It's my social security. You'll see what record the, uh, the IRS and, and social security administration has of your earning history. You can correct any errors and you can work with your financial advisor to make sure that you get it corrected if you need to, because it is really vitally important that you have accurate information on there. So you can kind of anticipate what your social security benefit is going to be later on. So that's another reason to check it out. Other than that, it's just neat to think, wow, that's what I made in 2003. <laughs> neat. I didn't know that the the dairy farm paid me that much that year. Where did it all go? You know, it's yeah. that, that kind of thing. Those are all good points, Jason. And, I, and what I was going to add to that, this is vital information for financial planning. Um, if <laughs> if you want to become a client, uh, we're typically going to ask you to bring that SSA uh, information because we're expected to plan for retirement. You know, you mentioned the sidecar and, and just the the analogy there. It is a you know, I call it a building block for retirement. Um, it's crucial in most people's retirement plans. And like anything else, the earlier you start planning with more realistic numbers, the better the outcome is typically yeah. going to be. So as financial planners, the earlier you get on this and, and get this information down, good input, good output. Wouldn't you agree? Nerd. Nerd. But yeah, I, I think I really like the analogy that the motorcycle of your financial plan, <laughs> the big hog the Indian or the Harley <laughs> of your financial plan is the things that you've done <laughs> to save, to pay down debt, like the motorcycle of it, like the big old, I don't know anything about motorcycles. Gosh, but you if I just did, stop right now. Yeah. the big Mad Max looking <laughs> motorcycle that you're driving, that's your, that's your 401k savings and your Roth IRA and you paying your house off and you're ready to go and you can pay yourself a stream. But that's Social Security. That's your little sidecar. That's where your that's little sidecar. <laughs> yeah, that's where your dog rides. Yeah, that's or, right. 
or your wife. I don't know, depending on how much you love your dog or your wife. It could be <laughs> keeps either. you from tipping over a little, maybe. Uh, yeah, it's the it's training your- wheels without looking like training wheels. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, man. So let's Enough go. Of that. Thinking what's about- the question, Jason? What's the question that you hear the most when we, when we meet with clients and talk about Social Security? Um, it's I'm I'm gonna retire. I'm when do I take Social Security? When should I start taking it? Because I can the take million it earlier. Question. Then I'll have it. I can take it later, and and then I won't have it. But it'll be more. So which is better, Caleb? Do I take it early or do I take it late? So let's not uh, let's not exhaust this one here. But I think it's good that we address it. Uh, I think that and listeners might not like this answer at the beginning. Um, I think you'll see why we've come to this uh, answer, but it really depends on a lot of different things. Life expectancy is important, you know, family history, current health, things like that. Your current income needs, you know, depending on when you're planning on retiring. If, if you're thinking about, you know, retiring at 60 years old, that that changes things quite a bit. And obviously other sources of income, you know, whether that's a pension or whether it's a, a really well-funded IRA or Roth IRA, you know, maybe there's a windfall or something like that, uh, maybe on the horizon. So, it, you know, not to make everybody mad, but the answer is quite simply, it depends. Yeah. But we'll get into that a little bit more. And I think we're going to discuss some things here that will help come to that conclusion. So, you know, there's benefits at various ages. Uh, Jason, talk a little bit about when Social Security becomes available and how those benefits work uh, over those different milestone ages. Yeah, if you want to get your hands on your Social Security benefit as soon as possible, you can get it at 62. There's a full retirement age. It'll be FRA on most of your documents that if you were born after 1960 is 67 for right now. Um, yeah. And if you were born before 1960, it's somewhere between 66 and 67. We, um, we like to say 67-ish. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to be very clear with folks, but that's yes. your full retirement age. It'll depend on when you were born exactly. And then uh, then you get the full kit and caboodle at age 70 with all the, the stepped up benefits for that. It, it, so like why, why would you wait, out. Jason? I, I hear the question all the time. Sorry to cut you off, but if yeah. you can get it at 62, why in the world would, would you wait until 70? Is that what you said? 70? Yeah. Well, because it's more money then. But Okay more money per month. There's a lot of reasons that maybe you would do it. And when you were talking about when do we take it, like I always joke with folks when they ask me that, I'm like, well, let's tell me exactly how much money you're planning to spend every year until you die and tell me exactly when you're going to die. If you come in with an expiration date, we can figure it exact. Uh, The problem is most of us are not privileged to that information. Yeah, we don't know the expiration of ourselves, but we also don't know what quality of life is going to be like. Because maybe, you know, it could dip at 62, you retire and you get sick for three years and you're not spending that much money. Maybe you Mm -hmm. start spending more. Maybe you spend really heavily in your early, uh, your early years of retirement, like, you know, out of your pension, out of your IRA, out of your, out of dividends, out of uh, real estate income, all sorts of things. It is wildly variable based on what your goals are, what kind of things you like to do. If you want to front load retirement with all the fun before you start getting older, or if you want to guarantee that you're not going to be a burden to your kids, it depends on what's most important to you, Yeah, what you're going to do. That's the main factor. It's more than just what are the odds of getting the most money? Because I have, if that's your plan, I got sad news for you. The Social Security Administration figured this up with actuarial tables. So they already <laughs> did the math. Back to the insurance guy conversation, huh? Right. right. They've the already same people are figuring themselves. these benefits. Yeah. 
So, you know, that's that's why they can offer more money at 70 because you have a, a higher likelihood of never using it nearly as much money. So it depends. I, the main reason that people will push it off, though, is because their benefit will increase. Maybe they're still working later, maybe not. But the main reason to put it off until 70 is because you have a way higher annual total benefit that comes to you if you wait till 70. Uh-huh. So to build on that, you know, uh, when we talk about the increase, because we've said a lot of it depends. Well, tell me how active (laughs) you're going to be in retirement. Well, you know, we've got the world traveler and then we've got the I just want to spend time with my grandkids. You know, we've got a lot of different folks with different goals in retirement. So we can say depends all day long. But let's put a little bit of math behind it. Wait, So from 60. Wait. What? I thought of another thing that really, really, really depends that I talk okay. about. Okay, more depends. More depends. It depends <laughs> on your spouse, too. If you are married, when you oh, take absolutely. Social Security can matter a lot because you got to think about both of you. Sorry, that was the other thing. It really depends on the health of your spouse, what you guys are going to do together, who has the higher Social Security benefit, which we haven't even talked about yet. That's we will get into that. Yeah. We will get into that. But that's a great point. It's Sorry. not always as cut and dry as what's my benefit at this age versus this age versus this age. Like all of you out there who are married, you understand you're not making decisions for just one. You're making mm-hmm. decisions for two. That's right. <laughs> and maybe more if you have children when you're in your 60s that are under the age of 18. Am I right? Yes, which is something that's overlooked big time. <laughs> um, and I'll admit I overlook it too. But um, again, so more teasers. But let's put a little bit of math behind it. Um, yes. When we talk about how your benefits increase from age 62 to age 70, um, it's 8% a year. And now, Jason, there are some mutual funds and things out there that will deliver 8% a year. There are some stock investments that will probably do that. But we're talking about a guaranteed pension. There's not a lot of guaranteed options out there that will return 8% a year. So in my opinion, that's a pretty good number, wouldn't you say? I think it's a good increase. I mean, if you factor in cost of living and and the uh, benefits of delayed gratification, yeah, I think it's a decent amount for sure. Well, And let's think about compounding again, because you hear 8% a year, and maybe even that number doesn't sound huge. But if you look at the average person's Social Security benefit from age 62 to 70, it could be up to a 75% higher monthly benefit at age 70 than it is at 62. But you got eight years that you weren't getting anything. That's true. Again, (laughs) we're going to go back to, well, it depends on your situation. But there is some math behind that, too. So... You're kind of getting into the next question, really, which is, all right, so where is my break even right. uh, for maximizing my lifetime benefits? Because that's what it really boils down to. You know, if you want the higher monthly benefit all day long, you wait till 70. There's no questions asked. That's when you're going to get the highest benefit. But what if you live to age 72? Well, you certainly haven't maximized your Social Security benefits there. Uh, so when is the break even for most people? How does that math all work out based on life expectancy and things like that? When does it really make sense to delay that, Jason? Oh, the break even point on simple math? You know, I'm looking at lifetime benefits. Where does it make sense? You know, let's say that you have a life expectancy of, you know, everybody in your family makes it into their 90s. You know that you're probably going to live a while. You're, You're out there running half marathons and things like that. When would it make sense for somebody to wait till age 70? When they're going to live a really long time, right? Okay. They got about, uh, according to this math here, until 79, age 79. Yeah, seven, uh, about 79, 80 is what I've heard. So, you know, we hear a lot of numbers, I think, when we talk life expectancy and things like that. But I, I don't know, average, 
average life expectancy in the U.S. I still I still think is in the mid to late seventies here in the U.S. But you know, let's say that you're one of those who has chronic heart conditions in your family, and you know, most of your parents, grandparents, great grandparents, they check out in their their early seventies. Waiting till seventies probably not a great idea. Again, you take the depends <laughs> and put some math behind it. According to smartasset.com, the break-even point is right around that 79 number if you wait until 70 to take the benefit. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody needs to wait until 70 just because they think they might live to 79. Again, depends on when you need income and things like that. But uh, So I think many variables. There, there are tons and tons of variables. So let's say you know along the way you decide, all right, well, maybe I don't want to wait till. 70, but I plan on working till my mid 60s. You know, looking at the math again, uh, if you start taking benefits at age 66, it's probably going to take you till about age 75 to break even on your max lifetime benefits. So um, rather than taking it early, right? Rather than taking it right away at 62. Yep. Yeah. There's the old adage that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And that makes me think about taking social security as early as possible. And I've had a lot of people that believe in this strategy. You Mm -hmm. take it as early as possible because A, you don't have any idea when you're going to die. Two, that you can take that money and you can have it, even if you don't need to spend it, you've got it. Your beneficiaries can benefit from it if they need to. And C, that you could also also invest that money and maybe enjoy the benefits of compound interest over the time to get to age 70. Okay, that so is a whole that's got a whole nother set of variables because you don't know exactly what the market is going to do. Sure. But also let me play it depends on your income. <laughs> let, yeah, exactly. That's and that's what I was gonna jump into was let me play devil's advocate a little bit here. That's fine. I think that's fine if you are not relying on social security for income. There are retirees out there that I know that I work with that are they are fine as far as income goes in retirement. They take it they take social security at sixty two and it's fun money. It's, you know, yeah. I say casino money. That's that's yeah. their play around money. You know, it's not a big deal. They can invest it. They can go have fun with it. That's kind of their burn money. If you are relying on that for your main source of income, well, okay, maybe the in, investing the difference, uh, that, that's where a good conversation with your financial planner is, you know, well, maybe we do try to work another three or four years and maximize these benefits a little bit more because that's, let's say, 80% of your income in retirement. Yeah. Um, so we're not we're not giving any absolutes here, but I think it's uh, helpful to use some of the math to say, all right, well, if X, then Y, if Y, then Z. As a rule of thumb, if you're going to play, if you plan on living a really long time, delay taking Social Security. If you don't plan on living a long time, take it pretty early. But those are not by far. Those are not the only variables we've got to consider. There are dozens and dozens of variables, right? No, we we've got some more val- variables here in the hopper. So, um, you know, one it. would be do you, do you take it right away at sixty two? What if you plan on working? Well, what about taxability of Social Security benefits? Yeah, uh, we talk about this a lot with folks, don't we? Oh yeah, everybody's concerned about this. They know that there's some rule out there that mm-hmm. their Social Security could get taxed. So, Caleb, tell tell us uh, roughly because this is also a complicated subject, uh, what the the taxability of Social Security looks like in a nutshell. If I take Social Security, what do I got to be worried about paying extra taxes? There are three tax brackets when it comes to Social Security and the taxability of your benefits. Zero percent, which I think a lot of people are shooting for when they say, I can't make over this amount of money. They're saying, I don't want to pay taxes on my Social Security benefits. Now, 
Is that the end of the world if you pay a little bit of taxes on your social security benefits? No. Okay. I don't like to make life decisions based on, well, am I going to have to pay a little bit of taxes on my social security? I think that's crazy. But I think there's a lot of misconceptions about that. I can only make this much or I don't get any of this. That's not true. And I took this from Kiplinger.com. You know, for single people, this is a rule of thumb because the the calculation's more complicated. As you know, I'm really, really entrenched in the tax code right now. Yeah. And there's something called provisional income, and there's certain things that go into it, certain things that are not counted. So I'm just going to say simple rule of thumb. If you're single, your social security benefits are not going to be taxed if your provisional income is less than $25,000. Okay. If you're married, that threshold is about $32,000. From 32000 to 44000 for a joint filer, you're going to be in that 50% tax bracket. So 50, not, and it's not a 50% tax on your social security benefit. It's that 50% of your benefit is taxable at your effective tax rate. Okay. So there's a big difference there. And, and I think when I hear people talk about taxability of social security, they say, well, I can't go to work if half of it's going to be taken away. That doesn't make any sense. Why not just sit home and collect the full check? That's not right. the case. Um, when you get above and beyond that uh, $34,000 number for a single person or $44,000 on a joint return, then up to 85% of your benefits are taxable. Again, the qualifier being at your effective tax rate. It's not the end of the world if you're paying taxes on 85% of of your uh, social security benefit. They are not taking 85% of your benefit away. So I want to be really clear on that. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good talk for when you're planning income and you're on social security, you're getting your social security benefits. Kind of, you need to coordinate those benefits with pension income, with distributions from your IRA, if they're required Mm -hmm. minimum distributions or they're just regular distributions, uh, or if you've got, you know, other income, if you've got rentals out there and you're, you're getting income off of those or farmland that you're getting income from, coordinating your benefits all together is a really complicated process. Yeah. It's really important to do it. Again, I don't want to say paying taxes is the end of the world. It means you made money, but you can strategize yeah. that. And like you say, you got to work that tax code, folks. So there's a work smarter... Work that tax code, folks. There's a best... <laughs> <laughs> there is a best way to do that. And, you know, yeah. so check that out. But I got to say... I think where a lot of the fear comes from on losing your social security is this earnings test. And really this only comes into play if you take social security early, if you take it before your full retirement age, Mm -hmm. there is a lot more danger because theoretically you could earn yourself out of all your social security and not get any of it in, in theory, you'd have to, it'd have to be a lot, but you could do it. So basically this is what lots of folks are are scared of. If you take social security before your full retirement age, which for most people is 67 ish, like we said, Once your earnings exceed $18,960 for 2021 in any full year before normal retirement age. So not the year that you reach full retirement age. Of Mm -hmm. course, the government has a different calculation for that year. Your benefits are reduced $1 for every $2 in earnings in excess of that $18,960. So that could, that could end if you made, you know, $500,000 in excess of that limit, you could have your social security benefit totally erased. That's what you need to look out for. And that's why deciding when to take Social Security is pretty important. If you And, and the, the Social Security Administration is going to ask you what you think you're going to earn for the upcoming year. They're going to ask you to estimate conservatively high that you're going to have mm-hmm. a bigger income so that they don't have to recalculate and figure up stuff. Because when they 
make an adjustment to your social security benefit. So let's say that you retired at, at 62, but you kept working and you made a significant amount more than this 18960 If the Social Security Administration doesn't know about that and already kind of factor that in, they're going to just shut off your Social Security at the beginning of the next year until they've made up for what the amount is going to be. So instead of reducing every month, they take it on an annual base. And you could theoretically go six months without having a single benefit paycheck from Social Security to make up for the prior year. That's not like a punishment. That's just the rule. So... Mm-hmm. It, most social security offices too are really good to work with on planning this stuff out. Hang on. I don't know if most are in my well, personal experience most around us have been. Yeah. Our local offices have been wonderful to talk to and plan this stuff out with clients and coordinating benefits. Um, so that's something to figure up because you do, you have to figure out uh, what your income is going to be, what kind of spending you're going to be on, um, where you're drawing money from to pay all of your bills and, and support everything. And then how everything works together, how Social Security works with with your income. And that, I think that leads right into coordinating benefits with, with other benefits, especially other pensions, Caleb. So let's yeah. talk about the GPO and the WEP, the government yeah. pension offset, and the Boy, windfall uh, elimination know, provision. Just when I thought we couldn't have any more fun, <laughs> we're going to talk about the GPO and the WEP. And I'm going to keep it really basic. Government <laughs> pension offset, windfall elimination provision. There's a lot of similarities here. Basically, what it boils down to, if you receive a government pension from a federal, state, or local government, your Social Security benefit or your spousal or widower benefits could be reduced, okay? If you work for an employer who does not withhold Social Security tax, it may reduce your benefit. I'm just going to put it this way because this is really complicated, but if you fall into these categories where you're getting a government pension or your employer is not holding social security uh, tax, you need to dig into this a little bit more. This is another thing that we could do multiple episodes on most so likely. So many, but this could be its own episode. It, it really could. Sure. Uh, I think the GPO could be its own episode. The WEP could be oh, its yeah. own episode. In summary, um, these are things that will affect or can affect your spousal, your widower benefits, or your social security benefits. We're actually going to provide some links to a couple of comprehensive flowcharts in the show notes for this one. It's pretty good stuff. If you follow through the flowchart, it's basically if this moved to this step, if this moved <laughs> to this step, and it's going to tell you basically how those pension benefits could affect your social security. But that's something like I said, like you said, we're not going to get into all no. the, the minute details and minutia of all of that today. It so. can get crazy. I've got an, a small anecdote of um, some folks that I know that I've helped. They have the GPO and the WEP. They're all intermingling, but it's also um, an offset of a of a foreign pension, of a Canadian pension. Oh, So intermingling <laughs> all that stuff together with, a, with a, a Canadian expat marrying an American with Social Security and what the spousal... My goodness, it gets confusing. I learned so much. Uh, I so I hey. thank them for that, but man, it can be that that could be its own episode, and that would be it a really, really a really narrow audience. <laughs> it would. I think we'd have four or five listeners, well, oh, three to four. There, there's got to be know. dozens of Canadian ex-Canadian citizens that have <laughs> married Americans. Hey, and in that, I'm not going to give specific advice, but that's where a really good tax professional will help. Wouldn't you agree? I. There's got to be somebody that specializes in it because I did I did all the research <laughs> and I figured that okay. out for them. 
So we talked a little bit about how the GPO and the WEP will affect your benefits, your spousal benefits, or your widow slash widower benefits. So we didn't really talk about widow or widower benefits. Um, there are some misconceptions about this for sure, Jason. You want to talk yeah. about that for a Let's quick second? Let's just cut right to the chase. You can't, you're not going to collect two Social Security checks for you and your deceased spouse. You basically will get the higher of the two. If, it, if you were getting a spousal check, which is about half of what your spouse had, or you were getting your own, and they were getting their own, you get to pick the highest one. And and that's pretty much how that'll work. Is that is that true in a nutshell, Caleb? Yeah. That, so for most people, that means a pay cut. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> a pretty sizable because, pay cut. And yeah. uh, so I, I think that that's, you know, that just um, highlights the importance of financial planning for, for other income sources in retirement. But I would say, and I, I think you'd probably agree with me that over half of people that I talk to when I ask this question, when we get into the social security conversation, I say, what happens when spouse A dies? Well, I'll, I'll keep getting their benefit. That's absolutely not true. Well, and I think be. most people, well, <laughs> as long as yeah, they forfeit their own. <laughs> but you don't get to keep yours. That's right. true. I, I think that more than half probably out there still believe that, well, they're not going to cut off that social security. You know, th- that could effectively cut your household income in half in retirement. But um, mm-hmm. it is the case. Uh, So that is one of the biggest misconceptions. What about benefits for divorcees? This is another, this is another really complicated subject because we've got, there's a lot of folks out there with multiple. This could be its own podcast. (laughs) This, this could be its own series, but, but basically if you were married to somebody for more than 10 years and you didn't remarry, uh, and then that person turns full retirement age that you used to be married to, or you turn full retirement age or not, no, not even full retirement age, right? Age 62. All right, you can start yep. getting benefits then. You can start getting benefits then. Um, it's This is really complicated uh, because you can get spousal social security from your ex-spouse. And uh, that's I, that probably... That probably and, and to clarify, to it, doesn't affect, it doesn't affect the ex-spouse's benefit. I think that's right. another common misconception. Absolutely. And the whole the goal, goal of that was to protect women that were divorced in the industrial age back in the day. That mm-hmm. you know their spouse left, and then he got remarried, and she just didn't have a job. They were home taking care of kids, no social yeah. security income. Right. So now you get spousal social security income, even if you didn't earn those credits on your own, and you still get those if you're divorced. If you remarry, it, it kind of resets. You're you're tied to a different yeah. spouse then. So that's so I don't know about you. I I've seen some situations here where uh, so I meet people. a prospective client who you know they've got a significant other and. Uh, they have no intentions of getting married because it's just going to screw up their retirement benefits. <laughs> yeah, their their spousal social security is too good from their ex-spouse. Yeah, yeah I get it. Maybe that's not the best the best plan. So but. I think like you, you said there, highlights, you know, in order to get a benefit, you got to be married for at least 10 years. Um, the receiving divorcee cannot be remarried. They have to be 62 years of age. And the um, social security benefit for the receiving divorcee should be less than what they would have received based on the ex-spouse. So their personal benefit, in order to collect on their ex-spouse, that ex-spouse benefit has to be higher. I mean, obviously, it doesn't make sense why you'd want to go the other way. And the ex-spouse must be eligible for benefits at that time. One that we haven't talked about a lot, it doesn't get talked about a whole lot. We kind of overlook it, I think. But with people having kids um, later in life, like we're seeing the trend, um, benefits for children... We, uh, I, I think that when we hear this, we think about kids who a parent has passed away 
and they collect social security benefit. My, my brother, for example, received a, a little bit of a social security benefit when my mom passed away early. But mm-hmm. beyond that, um, there are other social security benefits for minors in, in a couple different scenarios. Let's say that you decided to have kids later on in life and you are retirement age and you collect your social security benefit and you've got a 16 year old at home. Mm-hmm. Well, they can possibly collect some social security. Some qualifications there are that they need to be unmarried. They need to be under the age of 18. The caveat there is they can be age 18 or 19 and still be a uh, full-time student, obviously still in high school, no higher than grade 12. So college students, you don't get to keep on collecting a benefit forever. Or the other caveat there is let's say that you're 18 years or older uh, and you're permanently disabled and that disability occurred before age 22. But the big thing is the benefits do typically stop at age 18. But that's something that I think is really, really overlooked because we don't run into those situations real often. But I personally think that it's something that's going to come up a little bit more as people are getting married later, maybe having kids later. It's something that really, you know, if if the benefit is available, you should take advantage of it. Um, So it might be available to some folks out there. I don't think that one uh, is advertised real well. So. Yeah, it's maybe not that common, but it could be. And if you know about it, you know more about Social Security than most people now. So congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in summary of all of this, I hopefully this was informative about Social Security because it is it is so complex. There are so many different variables, ins and outs, changes for what will work best for you. We do advise that you seek the help of a competent professional if you are deciding on what to do. But Caleb... What about folks our age? What about the the old millennials, the really old oh boy. ones? What do you do? I, I this is what I do. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wait for you. If, <laughs> Thanks. Because this is what this is what I do. I I say you know what? If I get Social Security, awesome. That's great. I, I'm not gonna count on it at all because it it needs to be changed by now. So um, this is yeah. so you ask people the big main question people asked you was when should I take it? The main question I get from younger folks is. It, what's going to happen? Will, I, I heard will it even Security, be there. Yeah, I heard it's going away. Yeah. What's going to happen? What do you think? In the state of Ohio, we saw uh, years ago a crunch on uh, state teacher retirement benefits and things like that. And the way that I look at it, this is purely opinion. Um, if there's Social Security reform, like there has been pension reform with some public employees, I think what you're going to see is uh, folks who are close to retirement age are probably going to get their benefit or close to what they were promised. Folks early on are not going to notice a big difference early on in their career, I mean, because they're so far out. It, you know, when there are changes made, typically you see some people that are in the middle that are going to get pinched. My personal opinion is I, I agree with you. I am not going to rely on Social Security. I'm working on creating retirement income on my own. But I do think that, and, and this is not a political comment, but I think we are, <laughs> as a country, we're going more towards entitlement programs, maybe socialist tendencies. I don't see government provided pensions going away. They may look a lot different, but I I think that there will be benefits available. Oh yeah, they'll be there. Taxes will just be 80%, whatever. Sure. It's happened yeah. in Europe. So yeah, that's a, that is it's another, bad. not another episode. That's another podcast <laughs> entirely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't see them going away either, but it's smart to not count on them. There are so many levers that uh, our legislature can pull to whether it's yeah. means testing for social security or taxing, taxing more of the benefit or 
you know, there's just a lot of different levers. It probably won't go away. Don't be worried about it if you're getting close to it, if you're getting it, because they need you to vote for you for them in Congress. <laughs> so they That's won't the get rid of it. That's the most important thing. So they're not. They, if you're a voter, you'll probably be probably be all right. <laughs> well, Jason, I know we just scratched the surface here. But uh, we're up against the clock a little bit, so I think it is time for... Questions! Straight up! Hey man, I got this uh, email from Joanne. So, uh, Joanne writes, Good morning, Jason. I just about made it through your first podcast last night. A mighty feat, if I say All so right. myself. <laughs> she said, it made me thirsty. Perhaps you should offer free liquor to your clients. Stop in and get free samples. But I do have a question for you. We've never had money in the market before, and I'm wondering what the best strategy is to not have a heart attack when the market goes down and money is lost. I want to keep an eye on how the money is doing, but it's causing stress the last few days. I purposely not helped my spouse uh, get online access because I know he'd have a panic attack too when the market drops. (laughs) Any suggestions? Well, throw your computer away. (laughs) (laughs) Throw away. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Joanne. I am so grateful that you took the time to listen to the podcast, first of all. My first prescription for when the market goes down is to have a cocktail. That's good advice. And and you can get one at our office almost any time. But seriously, though, uh, dealing with market volatility is a a psychological struggle for many people. Um, It's probably smart to to keep reframing your investments into 5, 10, 15, 30-year periods. That helps a lot. I know we can look backwards at the market to see that even the biggest drops like in 08 and 09 recently, they don't register as disastrous when your holding period is a really long time. So try to reframe yourself. Also remind yourself that if you've got some money protected that can withstand some negative returns, whether that's your emergency fund or it's some cash and bonds, remind yourself that you have some money that's not invested all in the market. And if you're diversified, you can you can take some solace in the fact that you're diversified. That's why we we preach that all the time really a worst case scenario of a really diversified portfolio all going to zero is is you got bigger problems the entire united states economy would have to collapse the world would be having really big problems so it'll be the the smallest part of your concerns i think yeah i i think that's really good advice um it's like i tell everybody really and we covered this in the last episode with mint juleps and the markets and all that stuff really this volatility works in your favor over the long term so, you, yeah. you know, the more you can embrace it, the better off you'll be. And when you talk about, you know, if this is the last decline, if we never recover from it, uh, I got news for you, folks. I'm not your first call. Our country <laughs> has completely crumbled. Um, it's all it's all gone to pot. Uh, you're not calling your financial advisor. So, yeah, um, I think that's great advice, but a very practical uh, question. And, you know, the longer that things are positive in the markets, you know, the, the closer we are to the next pullback, but you'll get through it. You'll get through it. So it's, it's a hard thing. I don't want to belittle it at all. Everybody worries about it. And we, we manage a lot of people's life savings. So it hits us bad too, when that happens. So we have to preach that same stuff to ourselves that the process works. It should work. So yeah, just try to reframe it and, uh, keep on going on. Well, folks, this is the part of the show when we invite our listeners to speak easy about whatever's on your mind. This is a great place to share a recipe or a story, any thoughts or questions or emotional outbursts that you may have. 
Jason, did anything come into the speakeasy this week? Yeah, something did come into the speakeasy. In fact, we've we've opened a speakeasy, and if you can find it, I'll see you there. <laughs> um, secret speakeasy. <laughs> it's a secret. Secrets. <laughs> yeah, Austin wrote to us, I have listened to all of your podcasts and look forward to them. The only issue is I don't like mixed drinks. <laughs> what? what? You that, Caleb? And you've listened to the whole thing? <laughs> I know that's pretty incredible. I think Thanks, uh, Austin. Yeah, that's pretty great. You must really just like our winning winning personalities. If yeah, he like must really like shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can relate to you, Austin. We we do like mixed drinks. We also like unmixed drinks as well. Um, yeah. So I can I can uh, maybe you'll try something out. I I can't believe a guy that doesn't like mixed drinks but does like bourbon wouldn't like a nice old fashioned or a mm. Manhattan or maybe, maybe he's, he's got never that. had a good one. Uh, that could very well be. They're not the sugary sugar bombs like we talked about with the daiquiri episode. The daiquiri is mm-hmm. not even what you normally think of. So nope. Maybe we can convert him if he keeps listening. Thank you so much for listening, Austin. And thanks for finding the speakeasy. Well, folks, I think it's that time. So thanks for having a drink with us this week. It's time to close out the tab. If you want your story featured on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to write us a review on iTunes and share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. Cheers. Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.